So, Impossible Girl, it's time for every superhero to choose sides in this titanic struggle. With me are Mighty Man, Mole Woman, the Human Pineapple, Captain Stink Eye, Aquaman, Paul Ryan, Fallout Girl, Chief Thunder, Man Thing, the Ghost, the Beast, and the Hyphenator. Is that supposed to scare me, Dr. Magnificent? Look who's on my side. The Human Hurricane, Captain Pretentious, Sausage Boy, Sticky Woman, the Purple Volcano, August Wolf, Deficit Girl, Fantastic Hawk, the Speed Bump, Hydro Puma, the Chunder Muffin, Professor Porcupine, and the Base Shadow. You know, you could totally have Aquaman. Do you want Aquaman? No, no, you should keep Aquaman. He's your wife's cousin. I have no real relationship with him. On the count of three, we charge toward each other, unleashing all of our superpowers in a fight to the death. One, two, wait, what is this about again? The dress, it's gold and white. Blue and black, three! Today on The Nose, we went to see Captain America Civil War. Meanwhile, Budweiser changed its name to America, and the Pharaohs and the Allens are feuding again. And now, he was formerly Laundry Man for the Justice League of America, Colin McEnroe. And, yeah, that was not a good job, actually. They would just, like, uh, you know, they'd get all bloody and muddy and they'd just leave their stuff. And I wouldn't have to wash it. Uh, and uh, some of those people. Never mind. Uh, anyway, we're going to be talking about Captain America, Civil War. Uh, what you just heard makes almost as much sense as the movie does. Uh, it, of course, is a movie that does bring together uh, the wonderful talents of many superheroes and also many actors playing superheroes. A little bit later in the show, we will talk about the, um, the, the decision by Budweiser to temporarily re- rename itself America. Um, and also, uh, you heard the thing about the pharaohs and the Allens. We're not talking about the rulers of Egypt, not those pharaohs. We're talking about uh, Dylan Farrow and, and uh, Ronan Farrow. And people like that, and the, the way the Cannes Film Festival has now been kind of disrupted once again, in a way that maybe it wants to be disrupted uh, by the old Woody Allen stories. All right, so joining us here for the news for the conversation today is uh, Rebecca Castellani, otherwise known as Literature Girl, um, and uh, Rich Holland, who's the principal and design director at CoLab, Captain Designer Head uh, as his uh, superhero, and then Carolyn Payne, actress a comedian, dancer, uh, the founder, choreographer, and director of Connecticut Dance, uh, otherwise known as Hangover Woman. No, we're just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, Fair oh. enough. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so we all went to see uh, uh, Civil War, Captain America Civil War. It's the third movie in the Captain America series, but it's also kind of a movie in the Avengers series. Uh, Carolyn Payne had never gone to any of these movies or had avoided no, them. The first you saw Captain the first Captain America. You did, you did see the first. Okay. Yeah. But generally avoids these kinds of movies. Maybe we'll save her for just a second. Um, Rich, I know your, your, your heart is maybe a little bit more in these kinds of movies. Oh so um, uh, and how did this work for you? You know, it moved really fast. Yes, it did that. Um, and then took forever to get there. So <laughs> <laughs> that's like a Zen koan or something, yeah, that's, right? That's what, like, did, that's what they were working on. All right. Um, so it was, uh, you know, it was worth a see, mm-hmm. uh, primarily for the special effects. Um, if you go to see a superhero movie for the storyline, you need to reevaluate your choice in storyline. Right, yeah, and Rebecca, so to that point, since you're the literature scholar here, I, I initially thought, all right, I'm going to refuse to analyze this movie because it kind of resists analysis. And then I decided I would analyze it. And really, so we have, I mean, one of the problems here, I think, uh, Rich, also is we like these movies because we like having heroes who will bail Earth or mankind or whatever out of these terrible jams. So watching them fight each other for two and a half hours is, to me, is kind of depressing. I want these people all to be together and on my side. So why are they fighting one another, Rebecca? Because of 
what to what sounds like to me is like some debate team resolution. You know, should superheroes be resolved? Should superheroes be uh, under the jurisdiction of international law? Yeah, I mean, it definitely <laughs> that was what it was trying to do. I mean, I could see how they kind of took this almost metafictive turn on the superhero movies and said, you know, it, based on Ultron, there was all this fallout from the dis- mass destruction, and we see that and and kind of take it you know, as par for the course with these movies. Buildings are going to get blown up, and rarely do you kind of talk about the human consequence. So I do think that it had its heart in the right place. Do I think at the end of the movie I really felt like they accomplished that? No. I think it turned into just another superheroes beating each other up and destroying buildings, though at least at this one they tried to do it at an abandoned airport. I did laugh out loud and like, oh, they're evacuating the airport before they had this big rumble. I mean... It definitely I – could, I could see what they were doing. I just didn't think it was very successful. Right. Uh, first of all, uh, you've redeemed this entire show. The only way we can talk about superhero movies on NPR is if people use terms like metafictive. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, and so, yeah. So it does – I mean a lot of times at the end of these movies we ask ourselves, who's going to clean up this mess? You know, everything's broken and, and, and like did anybody die <laughs> by accident? And the answer turns out to be yes and maybe the UN should be involved. So um, – so, uh, Carolyn, before we uh, hear uh, your reflections on this, um, let's uh, hear a little clip from the movie. Tony, if someone dies on your watch, you don't give up. Who said we're giving up? We are for not taking responsibility for our actions. This document just shifts the blame. I'm sorry, Steve, that, that is dangerously arrogant. This is the United Nations we're talking about. It's not the World Security Council. It's not S.H.I.E.L.D. It's not Hydra. No, but it's run by people with agendas, and agendas change. That's good. That's why I'm here. When I realized what my weapons were capable of in the wrong hands, I shut it down and stopped manufacturing. Tony, you chose to do that. If we sign this, we surrender our right to choose. What if this panel sends us somewhere we don't think we should go? What if there's somewhere we need to go and they don't let us? We may not be perfect, but the safest hands are still our own. If we don't do this now, it's going to be done to us later. Okay, that's by a factor of three, the longest conversation that takes place in this entire movie. <laughs> uh, and you're hearing uh, Don Cheadle, uh, you're hearing Robert Downey Jr., and you're hearing Chris Evans uh, uh, talking about something or other. Um, so, Carolyn, you don't go to see a lot of these movies. We wanted somebody on the panel who wasn't necessarily into the superhero thing. But this actually sort of worked for you a little bit. What did you like about this movie? Yeah, I, I mean, I had seen the first Captain America, because there's pretty much two circumstances that I would see this a movie like this, is for this show or <laughs> on a date, like, you know, early on in the dating yep. where, process where a guy is like, oh, let's go see this movie, and you're still trying to be cool. Um, <laughs> but so that's how I saw the first Captain America, which I didn't hate. And this one, I also didn't hate. And I was mad at myself for kind of leaving it being like, oh, that was actually kind of good. I mean, the whole movie was like a trailer. It, it was like a yes. two and a half hour trailer for other movies. Yes. And I brought like a uh, superhero interpreter friend with me who, you know, throughout the whole movie, like he, he's, you know, explaining the backstory of things from other movies that I'd missed. And uh, it, it got to the point where I was like, who's he? Oh, what's, what's he doing? And he was like, I don't know. Let's watch and find out together. <laughs> <laughs> I would not have wanted to be sitting in near you at all at that movie theater. So, so I mean, I mean, Rich, a lot of this sort of gets to the point of like, why do we like these movies? Why do we watch these movies? You know, there's a whole psychology that goes with them. I did think just to take this movie and the franchise maybe a little bit more seriously than it deserves to. One of the problems that I had is to the extent that this whole 
narrative works at all for me, it is, a lot of it is the actual personalities, the characters. And, and one of the things that I've, I've found pleasurable in the past is the way the kind of gee whiz uh, qualities of Chris Evans as Captain America bump up against the hardened comical cynicism uh, of Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Uh, he's kind of made this character into a much more comic figure, a kind of Iron Mercutio uh, and, you know, than it ever was in the comic books. And I thought that this movie kind of lost track of that pretty quickly because Captain America is kind of cynical and Tony Stark, uh, Iron Man, is kind of idealistic. Yeah, he's, he's idealistic and he's also a bit depressed, I thought, in this movie. I mean, he lost his... Uh he lost his arc. He lost his swagger yeah. in a way in this movie. He lost movie. Pepper. Pepper's not a rat. It, see? Yeah. And Pepper makes everything better. Yeah. And, um, really? I was glad to not <laughs> have too. to have She's too busy there. <laughs> yeah. She's probably like, selling like $500 light bulbs. And some other things this week. Yes, she I was trying that to sell. Too, yes. Oh, my. All right. The period of picking on Gwyneth Paltrow is now over. Uh, continue. <laughs> and, um, but... Uh, that kind of uh, fun G with swagger was replaced um, by a new Spider-Man boy, boy man, um, who, in my opinion, in the middle of the show, saved this whole thing and woke me That's up. That's true. You know, spider adolescent. He, he yeah. popped in and took a look at what was going on in this movie with completely new eyes, was fascinated by everything that he'd seen, considering that he had, like, you know, up until that moment, a suit that he had made in his closet. And, you know, along with that, brought in the most awesome uh, Aunt May uh, to this movie <laughs> that has me psyched to see any future Spider-Man yeah, well, there, there will be a, a future Spider-Man movie with a ver- this very young boy as a Spider-Man and Marissa Tomei as Aunt May. Just in case you thought you were going to get through this life without wanting to have sex with Aunt May, uh, apparently that's not going to be possible. Not and it's not even yes, going to be possible for Tony Stark. But I Tony, thought he Stark. was a spectacular Spider-Man. Yeah. And I loved that he was just fanning, like geeking out over yeah. the other. I mean, he was. it was kind of like a fan had entered the movie at that point. Well, talk about was, meta. It was yeah, like it became the very Marvel right. fan in Yeah, there. and I, yeah. I just thought he was uh, funny and, and adorable. Like he was, to me, Spider-Man. I've never seen another Spider-Man that I thought captured yeah. what you would think of. So I yeah. thought that casting for him was exceptional. I, I, think, I think, Rebecca, you've got it, too, that, that he is cast as a Marvel Comics fan. That yeah. Spider-Man is a Marvel Comics fan. He's kind of like a 15-year-old kid from Torrington who's yeah. suddenly asked yeah. to be a drummer with the E Street Band or something. It's like, wow, me? Are you kidding? With those guys? Yeah. <laughs> I, I loved when he like came up against Bucky and they fought for a second. He goes, wow, you have an iron arm. That's so cool. I mean, he was just absolutely <laughs> yeah. saying all the things that we're thinking during the spectacle. Mm-hmm. He was commentating the spectacle. And I feel like, you know, Ant-Man to some extent occupied that role as well, which is my feeling walking away from this movie. I was so much more compelled by the new characters, the fresh faces. Mm -hmm. Black Panther was badass and awesome. I mean, that to me was so much stronger than the core Avengers cast. Mm-hmm. I was, that was a snooze fest to me. Well, also, uh, Paul Rudd, who I, 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 in an endorsement a few weeks ago, I really did recommend uh, catching Ant- Ant-Man. Even if you don't like these kinds of things very much, Ant-Man's, the good. Ant-Man movie is really good and he's very funny and he's funny uh, in this uh, from time to time. But, you know, Rich, you raised a really interesting point as we were emailing back and forth about ah. this, which is that these, these roles are kind of interchangeable for a lot of actors except for Robert Downey Jr., 
only Robert Downey Jr. can be Iron Man. Yeah. I suppose Chris Evans is always going to be uh, Captain America. There's not going to be another Captain America. But there's kind of this sense that a lot of these other franchises is, are kind of, well, hey, you, how would you like to be Spider-Man this week? Yeah, I think, well, I think Chris Evans is going to be Captain America because there's no need to change it out. It's it's sort of, <laughs> you know, it's just a role that We don't want to see Daniel Day-Lewis's take on this character. Yeah, no, yeah. not really. I would. <laughs> An aged, like, cynical Captain America. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Who could only move his left foot. But I don't know. Do you have more that you want to say about that? I mean, it is sort of weird. I mean, Downey kind of owns this character, and then everybody else is a rental. Yeah, da- Downey has owned this character for, for a long time. From the very first Iron Man that I'd seen, I was like, okay, this guy's going to be this for as long as they make these movies. And I think it's what he's bringing to the role. Um, sure, he's delivering the lines that are written, um, but he brings this sort of facial expression, this you know, this body move uh, that is having a completely separate dialogue with himself throughout the, uh, all of his performances. And that's kind of interesting to witness. And you want to believe in the guy. You know, you want to believe that uh, that uh, his cockiness is OK uh, because he's going to have this moment of humility that he's not going to be able to deal I with and <laughs> go back. Shots like yeah. when he, yeah. and he's talking to cam. himself. Yeah. 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 And I, I think that it, it, it does add such a layer to mm-hmm. his character and it just shows his brilliant portrayal of that. I mean, I'm a huge fan of his. I would watch him do anything. Same here. Yeah. You know, one thing that I, that I thought about this is, you know, uh, Carolyn made the point that this this movie is a rollout for a bunch of other movies. Mm-hmm. We're obviously going to see a Black Panther movie. Black, by the way, Avengers hashtag so black. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. th- there's mm-hmm. uh, a lot more c- characters of color this time around yeah. than superhero movies have had in the past. And I'm really looking forward uh, to Chad- Chadwick-, Chadwick Boseman as Black Panther in that movie. And and but I mean, because it's all this stuff packed together, it it. And it's really just sort of a lot of, as Rich said in an email, bombs bursting in air and, and stuff like that to a, in a wearying way. There's just way too much of it. It makes you aware of the fact that there is going to be a Black Panther movie and it's going to have some space for character development and dialogue, you know, and, and probably that Spider-Man movie that's coming out in 2017 uh, with this young Spider-Man, that's going to have some space for some character development. And, you know, and, and it's... I find myself wishing there was something like that in this movie. It, it, it's sort of like the opposite of what they've done with James Bond, you know, in the Sam Mendes era, era of James Bond. They're all like these little Ibsen plays with stuff blowing up and James Bond's really, you know, Daniel Craig's really moody and thinking about his identity and stuff like that. And this one, the Avengers has moved in the other direction. It is just stuff blowing up yeah. really fast. Yeah, Absolutely. It visually overstimulated. I saw it in IMAX 3D, which was probably yeah. a huge mistake for a novice like me. I just was, I mean, I was overstimulated after all of the previews yeah. of stuff Seriously. in 3D. Right. And then that movie started, you know, and it just starts out with such a bang. Like it's, and there, to see it in 3D like that is a, a lot. So unless you're really a big fan, probably don't. This is probably not a good use of twenty dollars. It's, it's yeah, exhausting. Maybe. Like it definitely. It was a long movie, and by the end, I, I was really proud. I only fell asleep in the last ten minutes, but I was, you know, ready for bed at the end of that movie. I felt like I had been fighting in the action myself. I was just I so gone tired. tired after that they, movie. They, actually, <laughs> they seem to, to develop this new thing in these movies that draw you into them, it, and I've been calling it the driving by driving by a picket fence effect um, where you're trying to look through the fence, but every couple of frames is dropped, you know? So it has this sort of 
flickering intensity that even if you're sort of starting to fall asleep, it snaps you yeah. back in. But like don't you that. also feel that if, if you were a 17-year-old kid who played a lot of video games, you wouldn't even be having that problem that you would actually be able to follow? It wouldn't be a picket fence. You'd no. Be, no, that's not because that's what I always think. Like I would be able to follow the action better. Uh, if I weren't old, I felt like the action they just sped it up. Yeah, it was it That's almost drop frame stuff. Yeah. yeah, it was kind of an out of control fast. Yeah. A lot of the yeah. fight scenes yep. scenes just seemed to move like well, even for a superhero. So I this, felt like Black Widow what, was going fast. Yeah, so so imagine to me, imagine if you if you've got this film and they they replace every other frame with black, right? And it's forcing you to figure out what that missing frame is. This film had that kind of stutter quality quality to it throughout all of the fight scenes and to me i think that's why i got tired it's like it was confusing i, I couldn't much work. i did my legwork i watched ultron and ant-man and a couple of the other ones the week before and i still was turning to my boyfriend saying wait what is happening where is this and he was just as confused as i was and we were really well, trying to pay attention wait a second rebecca maybe you didn't do your legwork here's john from hartford hi john did we not do our legwork <clears throat> Hi, Colin. Um, well, I, do, I think asking you to do your legwork is, is pretty is a pretty tough uh, uh, tough request in this case because these characters, if you're a comics fan, and I I guess I consider myself one, uh, especially back in the '70s and '80s, you know they've got 50 years of backstory and of character building history to them. Every once in a while, they get a mild reboot and something major changes, but. I think that the weird thing about about these movies and the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe and um you know the including the Netflix series like Jessica Jones and, and Daredevil is that I mean I don't recall ever seeing some something this expansive attempted and the people who are doing it are coming at it with with a lot of that backstory already there and they have to make certain assumptions about at least a part of their audience. I mean, if you went, if I went into that new Avengers or the Captain America movie, Civil War, with no backstory and no no knowledge at all, I'd be totally, you know, confused as to what the heck was going on. Well, then you could have brought Carolyn's friend with you and just sat there <laughs> going, "Who's that? What's that? Why are they doing that?" Um, well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, first of all, Disney wouldn't make this movie for the money that they had to pay that many actors and that much special effects. They wouldn't make it just for an audience that that understood the backstory. I I actually want to uh, have Carolyn mention this completely stupid internet meme that, despite being completely stupid, I think is actually really kind of informative about the movie in, in, a, in a way that I will argue. But So there's this... <laughs> no, you should just do it. What ch- no, I'm talking plums? about the plums. The plums. plums. Oh, plums. yeah. <laughs> so before seeing this movie, I had seen a BuzzFeed <laughs> article about that this character, Bucky, who I had no idea who he was before, you know, that he buys these plums. He goes and is carefully selecting these plums. And then the action starts and, like, what happens to his plums? Bucky never got his plums. And so I, of course, was anticipating this moment in the movie, like, obsessively. Like, where's Bucky and his plums? I need to see this. And I can't even believe people latched onto that. That was such a bizarre... Well, I think they... First of all, so there were. There were, like, lots and lots of tweets about Bucky and his plums and and people, uh, as people will on the Internet, having a lot of fun with this idea of Bucky and his plums. But I'll go to our literary scholar over here. I think there's actually... There's something there. So I had to... I don't remember where I read this, and so this morning I tried to research it again. Plums, I guess... People eat them to improve their memory and to prevent memory loss. So the implication being is he's buying these plums in order to get his real memories back because he's dealing with this brainwashing thing. That's pretty deep. For so a pretty deep, movie. right? I was kind of you blown know, away. And I had researched plums as well, and I couldn't get beyond like you know symbols of growth in China. 
Well, I, I, so you uh, are a research I went deep. expert, man. I go deep into Reddit well, when I go deep. Right on. I sent everybody the William Carlos Williams poem uh, about the plums in the refrigerator. And to me, and so that's, of course, a poem about a very human moment. And to me, that's what the whole internet buzz thing was to me. It was this movie is so deficient in the area of human moments. Nobody ever pauses to appreciate yeah. anything in this movie. Everyone's just running around crashing into one another and trying to mess each other up. Uh, and, and, and in a way, I think maybe subconsciously. Consciously, uh, the internet collectively was saying, "Why, why isn't there anything like that?" You know? I wanted to know more about what Vision was cooking with the paprika. <laughs> that, I'm telling you, that oh, was one true. of the more compelling moments too. That, a cooking show by yeah. Vision, I would watch. I was like, I'm, I'm intrigued. What is he making? What? It's the quiet moments I think in those Marvel movies where the humor, the heart, all that stuff comes through, and the rest of it to me yeah. just feels like smash them up, bang them up, and it, it just doesn't, you know. Carry through much of a story. They put those moments in so yeah. that people like me can. It's sit like, there oh, and watch okay. It. Hold we on. should explain to people who are really confused now. Vision is an artificial life form played by Paul Bettany, uh, a very sentient artificial life form played by Paul Bettany. We ha- also haven't mentioned uh, the Scarlet Witch oh. played. By- <laughs> I'm just doing. Do that. we have to? I'm just <laughs> doing that to make Rebecca upset. But Elizabeth Olsen uh, plays the Scarlet Witch. All right, go ahead, complain. It was, I mean, I, I can't even articulate how terrible her accent was and how it wavered in and out of seeming like an American accent and then a drunk American trying to do a Russian accent. It was, it was bad. What you don't understand, Rebecca, is that in a lot of these movie roles, um, for some of the time, Elizabeth Olsen is speaking directly to me. Uh, uh, and that may make for some confusion among the rest of the audience. Um, we have a very special relationship. I, I can see yeah. that. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, I think – is there anything else that we need to say about this? We need we... to talk about alienation. Well, yeah. OK. Let's, let's talk about alienation. <laughs> um, so at the, root of oh, these, yeah. at the root of these new superheroes to me is this, is this allegiance to, to being an alien mm. um, and uh, whether they are actually so or they have found their way in through, to, through life circumstances. And as um, – I was watching these aliens actually aging in front of us. So these aren't all like young, wrinkle-free dudes any longer, um, except for the women who look fabulous. Of course. But that's a whole other conversation, right? And, um, and I was noting that, that these aliens uh, um, have, gotten, uh, have gotten older, and it made me think of, you know, in a way of this sort of um, punk rock heroes, um, who themselves were born out of this this sense of alienation uh, and having read too much Richard Bach, and um, and I recognize that that there were a constancy of two of these guys that were walking across the street. One was either the reluctant Messiah um, form of of hero, and the other was the uh, the completely misunderstood hero uh, searching for uh, for a bit of understanding and, and clarity about who he is. And you, so you're saying that these are punk archetypes. Absolutely. And, and they are archetypes within the Marvel Universe. Exactly. So give us a sense. Give us some examples. So who would, in the Marvel Universe, who, who would be your uh, paradigm, paradigmatic examples of that? So um, take the take the Hulk. Um, okay. That that to me is the classic reluctant reluctant messiah, right? He doesn't want to yeah. do this job, right. yeah. you know. He's got other things to do, but they keep, you know, it's like a Michael Corleone. They keep pulling him, scratching <laughs> back into this business. Um, whereas the the misunderstood characters, in if you take a look at half of the storyline, mm-hmm. um, half of these guys are like, but wait, you don't understand what I'm really doing here. Mm-hmm. I'm out to to save the world, you know, and and everything else. That comes along with it, all the other stuff that goes that's the collateral damage along the way isn't intentional. please view me as a good guy still and it's uh, and, and it harkens back to 
um, the song that was written for Nina Simone that was uh, first done by the animals and then the really good take was done by Elvis Costello where, where he sings, uh, um, I'm just a soul whose intentions are good. Oh, Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood. And that's half the movie. Yeah. It, well, it is. I mean, one of, the, one of the paradigm shifts that was made by the Marvel Universe, I mean, DC comic book heroes for decades were just kind of these stalwart, uh, upright guys and occasionally a woman who were here to save us. And that was pretty much the end of the conversation. Uh, when Marvel came, a lot of them were freaks. They were damaged to people. They were, they'd been bombarded by gamma rays. They'd been bitten by radioactive spiders. They didn't necessarily want what came with that. Uh, they asked a lot of questions about it. They made a lot of very dark jokes about it. And the whole their whole reaction to being superheroes is probably, probably a little bit closer to how we would feel uh, if we were suddenly and, and involuntarily thrust into that role. So great analysis. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk about beer. Like we can go lower than comic books. We're going to talk about beer. <laughs> All right, so we're back uh, with the nose, uh, featuring a literature lass, Captain Design Head, and Hangover Girl, uh, otherwise known as Rebecca Castellani, Rich Holland, and uh, Carolyn Payne. Um, we're going to switch gears here. We're going to talk uh, about the fact that Budweiser, uh, Budweiser is not going to be called Budweiser anymore. This will be the last time you ever hear us say Budweiser in between now and November, uh, because from now until November, it will be called America, just like Captain America. Uh, and... Well, we can talk about why and we can talk about whether this is a good idea or not. I think we have to go to Captain Design Head first because, uh, I mean, they're redesigning the whole can. The, the, it'll look the same, but there's different words on it. Um, and uh, instead of King of Beers, it's been changed to E Pluribus Unum. Uh, the World Renown has been changed to The Land of the Free. And even the words Anheuser-Busch. Uh, have been changed to make Mexico pay for the wall. So uh, everything's different on the can. And, like, I don't know. What do you as a guy who, I mean, you know, this is something you think about a lot. What do you think is going on here? Well, it's something that you want to do all the time. You know, I can imagine designers who've been working on this bud package for for the past 10 years have been making these sort of incremental little moves. And here you have an opportunity in a political year that's that's filled with a lot of fairly intense rhetoric uh, to put a statement out for the people. You know, mm. this is the people's beer. Unfortunately, the people who are providing that beer to the people are Belgian, but that withstanding. Um, Belgium is America, too. Yeah, exactly. There's no wall there. So, um, but yeah, go ahead. The the one thing that does that I do see happen quite a bit is, um, is uh, when sales are down and sales of Bud are down, their sales are slumping. Um, uh, there's a tendency to repackage and reposition the brand, even if it's for a short period of time, um, to see a bump. Uh, and uh, and it generally does uh, deliver that you know five to to twelve percent bump in sales. Um, so so I could sort of see the motivations behind it. Now I've also noted that a, that a fair amount of folks are getting bent out of shape about like well. You know, you you can't abuse this concept of America by putting it on beer, and uh, I'm going to argue that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just that's. It seems to me that 
that's exactly what was meant to happen. Um, so literature lasts. Uh, we have to talk about the fact that, first of all, this whole campaign is directed at people not sitting in this room, right? I mean, the people, if this is going to be a successful campaign, it's not going to be successful with you. It's meant for people who are watching the Olympics. You're going to be watching the Olympics and going, you know, I really like Murakami. Maybe I'll root for Japan in this particular. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's... it's it, that is exactly how I watch the Olympics. <laughs> Um, so I actually, you know, I, I don't have a – my instant reaction was disgust. Um, and then I reached out to my friend who works in the beer industry. Uh, and she had a really interesting take on this. She uh, talked to me about how they've just in January done this whole Bud Light revamp where they're targeting millennials. They've got Amy Schumer and Seth Rogen in the commercials. And she believes that they're trying to target those who can't decide between Bernie and Hillary, whereas this beer is targeting the working man who can't decide between Trump and Bernie. And she has this, you know, whole belief that they absolutely know who their audience is. Uh, it's not subtle, therefore it's a little obnoxious, but it makes perfect sense if you are looking at what the brand's moves have been in the future. And I, you know, I do think it will boost their product sales. I really do believe that. So Hangover Girl. Um, I mean, is there a chance that this – I just wonder even if this could backfire a little bit with its intended audience. I mean, I, I guess there's no way to – nothing you could do that would drive a wedge between Budweiser drinkers and Budweiser and probably not putting America on it. That would be the least likely thing to, to, to drive that wedge. Well, what fascinates me with this change is their design and how – I wonder if they just hadn't – if this just hadn't been brought up, how many of their Budweiser drinkers would have just walked in and just put, picked up the package because it looks the totally. same. Yeah. Totally. They just changed the So time. I feel like that should have been a really interesting experiment for them to just change Budweiser to America and you just have people – like I, I guarantee you some people would have not even noticed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in some ways, they need. They probably want something of a controversy and something. They want the conversation that's happening here. Right and they've now. gotten it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We're talking about it. I haven't talked about Budweiser this much since, like, Ever. being in a package store in college, <laughs> picking out what to play beer pong with. So. <laughs> and it was never Budweiser, only Bud Light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, I don't know if there's anything else left to say, Captain Designhead. Any final uh, words from uh, the world on of the, design? On the Bud design? Yeah, on no. the Bud design. No, no. it's All just right. another thing. Okay, it's just another thing. That is a beautiful way to put it. All right. <laughs> on a somewhat more serious note, although it's not being taken entirely seriously by everybody, including Laurent Lafitte, who seems like uh, the name of a made-up character but apparently is uh, a famous comic uh, actor and comedian in uh, in France, uh, as, in fact, the new Woody Allen movie is being screened at the Cannes Film Festival, um, the, some of the old allegations are coming up. And in particular, uh, Ronan Farrow uh, has uh, written an article in The Hollywood Reporter basically sort of blasting Everybody for turning a blind eye to this, uh, saying that uh, that the powerful Woody Allen press machine has dissuaded the press from reporting on this in a significant way uh, and kept it uh, kept it at as low a level as it could possibly be. And of course, actors continue to uh, whatever their principles are the rest of the time, uh, agree to be in Woody Allen movies. Uh, it might be added that the Hollywood Reporter, reporter was then banned from the screening uh, of the new Woody Allen movie, which some people would say, well, that may not be the worst penalty ever. Uh, and uh, But anyway, at Cannes, the, the Hollywood Reporter, for publishing this Rodin Farrow piece, uh, was banned. So I don't know where to start here, but Carolyn, maybe we can start uh, about the fact that actors do occasionally talk a little bit about the soul-searching that they've done. Kristen Stewart, uh, who is in the new Woody Allen movie, uh, did talk a little bit about this. And, and it's an interesting question. To what degree are actors required to flyspeck the moral reputation of auteurs for whom they work? Well, so Kristen Stewart came out saying that 
when she first got offered this role that she had some she she had some hesitations based on Woody Allen's reputation. Uh, but, you know, she obviously went through with it <laughs> anyway. And then, you know, she tried to defend the whole thing by in a really gross, slimy way saying like, oh, well, you know, when you're famous, like things happen. And, you know, people people say you do things you didn't. It, it just came across as like just clueless. And and especially like in light of every I, I really lost some respect for her there. Um, but I, I think that the thing that happens with with you know, uh, when when a, a comedian outs somebody, and we saw this happen with like Hannibal and Bill Cosby, mm-hmm. and uh, and now and now this, it just it does bring to light. And um, I think there was there was a really interesting article that we sent around that hopefully will be linked, and it, where it sa- uh, says how comedy can be used to kind of bring the truth and and be a great basis for political discussions and all of these like hot topics. And I think that this is just another one. I, I think it is time that we investigate Woody Allen. Right. So uh, when we talk about comedy, I, once again, referring to Laurent Lafitte, I certainly have all of his albums and watch all of his movies. But anyway, he was some kind of master of ceremonies. He did make a rather clumsy and blunt kind of Polanski-based uh, – uh, he said to, in, as part of master of ceremonies at Cannes, he says something to the effect that Woody Allen, you make so many movies in Europe, but you haven't been arrested for rape in America yet. Uh, I don't – it's kind of hard to imagine that being a big laugh line, but uh, but maybe it was. Um, although I don't really know. I mean, it seems to me that if anything's driving this forward, it's not that. It's the Ronan Farrow piece in, in Hollywood. But it was Reporter. the timing of the yeah. two. Yeah. Uh, apparently because uh, the French comedian, I'm not even going to attempt pronouncing his name, but he uh, – You can just make up a French-sounding name and no one will question it. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't know of the article in The Hollywood Reporter. By Ronan Farrow. He claimed to have no no knowledge of that prior to saying what he did on stage. So it just seemed to all kind so of come to head synchronicity at the same. around. Yeah. So. Woody Allen. So I don't know where else we want to go with this. I mean, to well, me. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, ooh, 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 you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> One of the questions that, uh, that it raises for me is uh, what actually is sacred? Mm-hmm. Um, we were, I was at a uh, at a uh, at this sort of community organizing workshop um, last week, and it started off with this big, huge discussion about um, the Athenian and Melian debates, and uh, buried in that was this idea of slavery, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, what at what point in compromise? Do you get to that point where you won't compromise any longer? You know, in in this instance, it was is slavery really a point where you choose death over something else, right? So that there are these lines in the sand, and I take a look at some of the humor that's actually being used right now, mm-hmm. and I really question: Have we crossed the line of what's okay for humor? Can we talk about pedophilia in 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 uh, for for a laugh? You know, can we talk about, you know, rape for a laugh? I'm less concerned about the effect on on Woody on Woody Allen and his public private uh, personas and more concerned about, you know, uh, how does that affect uh, people who've experienced uh, these things and are victims of these circumstances? And where is that line? Yeah. And I wonder whether is that is that the question here? I mean, I think it's a really interesting question and I have my own strong feelings about that. Although to me, the question is, at what point is an artist's legitimacy diminished to a point where that artist is no longer credible to exhibit or to work for if you're a Kristen Stewart or, or 
Jesse Eisenberg or, or anybody else. To what degree is this guy? And part of the problem, of course, is this guy, Woody Allen, has never been tried or convicted or, or anything. This is still kind of at the level of a torrent of accusations. I just should say also historically about this before I turn it over to you, Rebecca, that one of the problems here is that Frank Mako, who was the prosecutor in Connecticut who handled this case, uh, at the end of a lengthy investigation said there was probable cause to indict and prosecute Woody Allen, but he wasn't going to do it because he didn't want to put the the child victim through the ringer of of that process. And to me, right there, that's where our problems really began. Because first of all, I'm not comfortable with prosecutors smearing somebody saying, I mean, even if he deserves it, and and there's a good chance that he does, but smearing somebody said to say there's probable cause to indict this person, but I'm not going to do it. Well, either there's probable cause and you're going to do it or or, or don't talk about it. But, But also making that decision, maybe for good reasons, means we've got no way, way of resolving this thing. You know, is this guy morally reprehensible or not? We don't really know. I mean, I have such a hard time with this because there are plenty of artists I admire their art that have done unsavory, immoral things. I mean, Lord Byron allegedly impregnated his half-sister and was expelled from Europe, but that doesn't mean I don't enjoy reading Don Juan. It's the same for Roman Polanski. We can enjoy Rosemary's Baby, but we don't have to like Roman Polanski. So I have a really difficult time because, you know, there are plenty of Woody Allen movies that I appreciate for their artistic quality, but as a person, I find him very reprehensible. Um, I, as an, If I was a female actress in Hollywood, I personally would not work with him. That would be my personal choice because that's working with the man, Woody Allen, as opposed mm. to appreciating the art Woody Allen produces. But it's a tricky, it's a tricky dichotomy because I just don't know where you really responsibly, where our responsibility towards protecting and honoring his victims and making them feel supported. And then, you know, we give Woody Allen all these awards for his artistry. It's, it's yeah. just a tricky well, situation. Let me just push on that a little bit because I think, I'm guessing, you wouldn't be comfortable going to see some kind of Bill Cosby entertainment vehicle right now. That, no. that, at, some, that at this point, he is so thoroughly compromised uh, as to be just unworkable for you, right? Yeah, I mean, the line, it's, it's that line, like, where do we draw it? Does Woody Allen have to be convicted for us to stop seeing his movies? I mean, it, it's tricky. I mean, there are, but again, there are plenty of people that I can appreciate the art resulting, and that should always be held, in my opinion, higher. The art is what matters, is what we're taking in, and the artist, you know, that's their own. But that's like giving him a pass. I don't know. I, 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 I have problems with that. Like, I think if... You're going to I, – I think it's really hard to separate the art from the artist. And it's hard, but it, it's an endeavor that I think we have to kind of continue to uphold. We do, but the artists, by and large, don't want us to. Yes. You know, they I, they, well, they want us. They want their there to not be um, a barrier between Because artists their are celebrities and, now. Exactly. I mean, we don't want a barrier between the, the private and the public yep. life, right? You know, we want you to – they want you into their innermost secrets, mm-hmm. their their depth so that you could understand and, you know, move more material, right? And Woody Allen just this week did an interview where he really clumsily said, oh, well, Sun Yi's brought me a lot of pleasure and oh, I have a very God. paternal <laughs> relationship with her. So he's, you know, inviting a lot of this himself. So it's tricky. And I can't say – you know, I don't – I'm not planning on seeing this movie. I haven't seen his last – two movies, um, but I don't know. It's hard. It's hard for me to really come down with a line on this one because he has not been convicted. He's not, you know, this, though it seems like it very much did happen. It's just, it's tricky. One of the things that fascinates me is I think there's this subconscious bargain that we're, we're engaging in that we probably don't give voice to, and maybe not all of us do it, but it's sort of like the better his movies are, and this, this is true of anybody in this kind of complicated situation, the better his movies are, the more likely we are to overlook some of his failings. The fact that he makes crappy movies, I, I think it's almost like he's manning a machine gun nest. He's got to keep firing <laughs> yeah. so we don't over 
overrun his position. He's got to make really good movies. Otherwise, and, and that's insane. To your point, it, it should, there shouldn't really ultimately be any connection between the quality of his art and the moral judgment we make about him. Yeah, I, I mean, like Rebecca said, if, if Woody Allen called me and offered me a role in a movie, I don't care. Like that, I would never work again, and that would have been my chance. I wouldn't take it. You wouldn't take it. No. All right. Yeah, <laughs> and we'll hold me to that. Like, <laughs> he's gonna call you after the show. He's like, Carol, right. I got something yeah. perfect for you. I just, I had seen something that in, in you that I really got. <laughs> maybe. Uh, all right. So um, I think we could stop there. Unless, does anybody have one last burning uh, aperçu? I mean, we have time for a burning aperçu. Blake Lively said that he is empowering <laughs> to women. Yeah, so that was quite problematic. Yeah, well, I mean, she's I, problematic. Yeah, yeah. and we, but I, was she talking about his movies? Yeah. She was, but she was she's saying, you know, I can only base this on my experience, and the writing he he writes is is empowering to women. But yeah, what was uh, it's amazing what Woody has written for women. It's very dangerous to factor in things you don't know anything about. Uh, I could only know my experience, and my experience with Woody is he's empowering to women. Um, so. Uh, so Go basically, ahead. she doesn't know. She doesn't. She know. has no clue what she's talking yeah. about, but she's talking anyway. And to me, that actually reads like she's saying he's empowering two yeah. women, like the actresses, not the female characters he he produces. That's, That's such a conflicted right. statement. And yeah. speaking of women's roles, my remaining question is: When Rachel McAdams was in Midnight in Paris, was she actually part of the spotlight team investigating pedophilia? <laughs> you know, um, or I mean, actually, a more serious question would be: Having made Spotlight, could Rachel McAdams ever work for Woody Allen yeah. again? All right. So uh, on that somber note, we'll take a break. We'll come back with some recommendations. Today's show was produced by Jonathan McPants and me, Kyone Wolf. Greg Hill appeared in the intro and tweets for us at WNPR Colin. The part of Bill Curry was played by Paul Rudd. For show pages, articles, and comic books featuring Captain Here and Doctor Now, go to our website, wnpr.org slash Colin. On Monday's show, The Scramble checks in with reports from the campaign trail. And now, back to Colin. Probably on Monday's Scramble, we are going to be dealing with an equally fascinating story of secret identities, uh, that being the secret identities of John Miller and John Barron, I think are the names. Uh, these are people who were PR spokespersons for Donald Trump during the 70s, 80s, and 90s, except they don't exist. And it was apparently Donald Trump uh, <laughs> at all times being this person. So wow. the weirdness continues. All right. Time for some recommendations. Uh, Rich Holland, what have you got for us? Simple one today. Um being that the weather is finally really gorgeous out and it's going to stay that way for the end of time, mark my word, <laughs> um, I am going to uh, recommend everybody go out and experience some of the amazing farmer's markets that are around uh, this town. Shop locally. Um, of three, three of note for me uh, would be the West End Market, which is pretty awesome. And uh, the North End Market, which is uh, a newer one, but they're doing really great work. And uh, and the the one that that captures my heart is the Farmers Market at Billings Forge, um, uh, shop with a purpose for a purpose. Let me just add one more to them because it, it opened yesterday, uh, and I don't usually go to it. But in the afternoons from three to six on Thursdays uh, at the oh, in Weathersfield at the Solomon Wells House in Weathersfield, there's a very nice little farmers market on Thursdays, and uh, one of the things that they have that you don't see at a lot of farmers markets except the Worcester Square one in New Haven. They have fresh clams brought up oh, from the uh, – so if you want to make some 
some pasta with fresh clam sauce, uh, time it all out, and go in by the fresh clams on Thursday uh, and take them home and, and make them up. But they got a, a lot of really good stuff there. It was a very nice farmer's market. So uh, I was going to mention that one, that one anyway. I'm piggybacking onto your uh, farmer's markets. Right on. Uh, and so, Rebecca Castellani, what have you got for us? Well, on the topic of farmer's markets, I have to plug the Collinsville Farmer's Market, which also is awesome. Uh, that doesn't open until June yet, though. So which I mean, one I didn't hear? The Collinsville Farmer's oh. Market. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, my endorsement's proper. My obligatory Canton Collinsville endorsement this week is uh, the antique auction at the Canton Barn. Uh, I went for the first time last week. It was so much fun. The doors open at 5. It starts at 7.30. Um, you can get some really amazing pieces. Uh, the bidding was fun. I haven't been to too many auctions in my day, so I really had a good, good time with that. You can check out uh, sort of a preview of some of the lots at cantonbarn.com. Um, my second endorsement is a follow-up to an endorsement I made probably a couple year ago or so uh, on the show, Psalm, the documentary about Master Sommelier exam. Um, they've done a second sequel called Psalm Into the Bottle. It's just on Netflix now. They basically dissect all the mythos surrounding wine production and pricing and oaked versus unoaked bottles. It's just really fun, um, solid documentary. I highly recommend it. It's on Netflix. At one point, they have a montage of just food and wine pairings. And I have to say, it was some of the most erotic cinematography I have ever seen. I was like, this is glorious. So I highly recommend. I'd like to report that Captain Design Head lifted his red, white, and blue thumb up in support of the uh, Canton uh, auction, right? Oh, absolutely. And if, you're, if you don't have the budget for, uh, for antiques, but you do have the budget for pie, that yes. is the place to go. <laughs> pie, All yes. Right. Uh, and so, Hangover Girl, what have you got for us? <laughs> some Advil. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I um, I uh, was on a short getaway last weekend, and I read a book on the beach that I loved. It's called The Lady and the Panda, and it is the true story of um, the American woman who was the first person to bring a panda to the um, to the West. Whoa. And uh, it's really cool. I was personally fascinated by it because I have been to um, I've been to Chengdu in China, and I've gotten to be at the panda. They have a whole panda preserve there, and it's wonderful. And this book is just fascinating. And it has this great kind of like feminist, very empowering this woman's story and fascinating. So it's a really good read, The Lady and the Panda. All right. So uh, first of all, I want to do a shout out to Jim Taptelein, one of our regular nose panelists. Uh, he had ankle surgery, uh, uh, I guess about like eight days. I don't know. It was a while ago now, but it was it was really a much more painful surgery than I had understood as he was going into it. Now I keep try- trying to email him and then he tells me that his emails are not going through, and then he says he sent me another email. So I can't really find out exactly how he's doing now, but if anybody knows how Jim is doing, including Jim, who may actually know how he's doing, uh, we all uh, wish him uh, a further recovery. Uh, this was actually not a – I mean, ankle surgery doesn't sound like fun, but this was like even less fun uh, than it sounded like. So um, so I wanted to think uh, in terms of Budweiser if I could say something about beer, which I don't really know very much about. But I was at Bar in New Haven on Tuesday night. And I had their house blonde, and it was delicious and wonderful and very tasty. Uh, so there's a uh, – instead, uh, instead of America or Budweiser or whatever it's called, uh, instead of America, have a house blonde. I don't know. That actually sounds kind <laughs> that, of – Sounds yeah, worse. That, that sounds, was not – Definitely sounds worse. <laughs> not your best plug there. <laughs> sounds vaguely unsavory. And then I was trying to think of like, what, you know, what within the Marvel universe could one recommend? And so I've been spending a little bit more time recently uh, on the Netflix series Daredevil, uh, which um, has a fabulous cast, I think we would agree, and is kind of the opposite of the uh, of the Captain America Civil War movie in the sense that the Captain America Civil War movie has this kind 
kind of um, hyperactive pacing. You know, it really just is it's this huge ADHD experience trying to watch it and follow it and stuff like that. Whereas uh, Daredevil has almost this kind of languid pacing that involves these Aquinian uh, interrogations about the nature of good and evil and sitting in pews with priests discussing <laughs> whether evil really exists. And, and I guess for some people, maybe it's a, you, you could spend 20 minutes going, boy, is he going to hit anybody at all? I mean, hit somebody. <laughs> hit the priest. Hit, hit somebody. But it's, um, it really has some wonderful performances. Not like really super well-known actors for them. You, you probably watch this, right? No. You don't watch it. All right. All right. Uh, well, anyway, I would recommend. So there, my recommendation is intended for you. Please watch Daredevil. And then lastly, I'm just going to tell you that on Tuesday of next week, we will be in two places at once when we're not anywhere at all. And we will be on the air here, but we'll, we'll, that will be a pre-recorded show. We're going to be at the Peabody Museum. Uh, and we're going to be taping a show about dinosaurs at 1 p.m. on Tuesday. Cool. And we'd love to have you come by. I think you have to buy admission to the museum. I mean, buy a ticket or something. So it's like we're one of the exhibits. Uh, but we'll be, we'll be taping a show uh, about dinosaurs with a wonderful roster of guests. And if you're in, down in the New Haven area, we'd love for you to come by and join us. So that'll be – I mean, I assume it'll be from 1 to 2. Uh, but And I don't know too much. We'll be in the Great Hall of Dinosaurs. So – you know, there are people who feel that I am a dinosaur already, so this will simply confirm this. All right. Thanks so much to Carolyn Payne, to Rebecca Castellani, uh, and to Rich Holland. We'll be back on Monday with the scramble. We'll have some news from the campaign trail, especially about this mysterious spokesperson that Donald Trump had, who apparently is actually Donald Trump. You know, it's a very, very, very cool place to hang out. Yeah. <laughs> it's cozy. Like a Cracker Barrel. Yeah, we all be laughing, talking, joking, talking about this and talking about that. And talk about everything as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah. Talk about Torrington, Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, Oliveberry, Woodbury, getting on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington. Yeah, 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 yeah. On the radio. See on the radio. On the radio, baby. Do me talking, laughing down. I'm calling back and forth. On July 16th, the Volunteer Union Army of 37,000 men. So I've been watching this Civil War movie for like four hours. When does Iron Man show up? Move on at last to Richmond.